1: hello everyone welcome to part two of the stomp cast josh and i are just wandering well right in the heart of richmond it is a december day as we speak uh, you might be listening in the new year probably still cold and a bit wet as is the uk but i love it on days like this when you're out on a good old stomp i get the boots on you got your well you had your gloves on but you're quite hardy i still got my gloves you've <laughs> taken yours off my gloves are still on but i love it getting out in these conditions don't you
0: i do i mean it's so nice that we can walk here together. Richmond for me is a place that is, is very close to my heart. This is where so much of my training has taken place. You know, my, me learning how to run an ultra distance. So for those that don't know, that's, that's more than a marathon distance, 26.2 miles. And you know, the terrain around here can be testing. And certainly when I was doing my marathon challenges with, in, in the wheelchair, this was really the only area where I could kind of do substantial distance within the chair sort of in a safe environment away from cars. So the sentiment of this park for me is is massive.
1: It's got a part, a piece of your heart, I guess.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is where so much sweat and tears is, has taken place. You know, this and is ultimately. Too as
1: well. What's that? And a couple of blisters as well. Many, maybe. many, many blisters <laughs> and,
0: and sore muscles. Yeah. But you know, this is ultimately the place that enabled me to go on and achieve some of the greatest things that I've ever done in my life. And so in a strange way my gratitude that I have for this park is is massive Mm.
1: do you kind of go back to some of those moments you're walking around now can you kind of remember the different occasions you've been here maybe in different mindsets some good mindsets some where you've been going through a good time some bad times can you kind of do you reflect on those when you come to a place like this
0: yeah I mean there's definitely areas in this park that I look at and I think you know on slightly a challenging days you know there are going to be certain parts that are going to be more testing than others and for me the more testing areas gave me an opportunity to just release whatever I had going on within me. You know, certainly when I first started doing this, I would say there probably was a slightly unhealthy relationship with me testing myself. You know, For me, I've never resorted to drink or drugs or, or self-harm. For me, I guess, in a, in a sense, the self-harm probably came from doing these extreme challenges but it came with a positive outcome, if that makes any sense at all. And mm. I think through this process and me learning from it and coming to, to love it as much as I do, it's become much healthier than what it once was.
1: Yeah, I, I, kind, of, I kind of know what you mean in a sense as well that sometimes the tool that you use, it's how you use it that, that really defines whether its outcome is positive or not, isn't it? It's so kind of like the same tool can be problematic. I mean, people often, a common tool people use is alcohol, things like that to socialise. But if you use alcohol to numb pain, like I was using, it becomes harmful. So it's it's always or often how you use things as well. Isn't it? And then what, what you learn from that experience of, of, of using it and the relationship that you that you develop with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, at the end of these challenges, I, I would just feel physically broken. And I guess that in its sense was me just sort of like exerting whatever as, uh, you know, was going on within. But I think it did just get to the point where I was like, you know, I, I do love these challenges, they give me such purpose, but I'm, I am tired now of feeling broken. And I had to ask myself that question of like, do is it necessary for me to feel this broken? Is this just the territory that comes with challenging yourself to that degree, or is this self-inflicted? And actually quite a lot of it, in all honesty, was was, was self-infliction. And so things like that had to be improved because for me, I think my, my my love for it outweighed the rest and ultimately I wanted to have longevity in the things that I did. So in order to do that, those, those elements had to be improved. And now, you know, my relationship with it, I would say is the best it's ever been. And, and I think the connection that I'm now making with other individuals that maybe have a similar mindset, for me, is is just like,
1: it means the world. And perhaps you can help guide them and recognize when perhaps the reasons are, you know, they're trying to punish themselves too much. Or just like guiding, sometimes people just need a little bit of guiding the right direction of going, how, how much is this is using it for its benefit? How much is too much? And kind of, when people have had that li- lived experience, sometimes that can be so helpful for people as well, you know, to kind of get a bit of guidance.
0: 100%, especially with men, I mean, I, I... I think this space in particular that I've done, my realisation quite early on was that it could connect with anyone. But for me, men in particular were the hardest nut to crack. How could I get a man who's struggling mentally to connect with me and positively change his ways? Because we're seeing this negative pattern happening time and time again, and yet men are still reserved. And it seems like for so many, the only path, that we can follow is self-destruction or to end our lives. And to me, I can't accept that because I don't see that as the solution. And I push back on any man that silences any man for expressing themselves. And so I think the extremity of these challenges, I think sometimes people can maybe uh, get lost in in the reasoning for it, but it was my way of gaining the respect of the men around me so that when I spoke, I was heard. Because I've had so many men Alex come up to me, who have found it so challenging to express themselves their entire lives because of Mm. the way that they've been raised. Mm. I've gone on to do the things I have Mm. and I show vulnerability with what I do. And ultimately, for me, vulnerability Mm. is strength and it's it's altering the way that they are perceiving it and it's empowering them to be able to express themselves to friends or family or their Mm. children, you know, bridge those relationships back up again. It's kind of like
1: redefining that idea of resilience. I mean, it's it's exactly why uh, myself, um, Bear Grylls, Paul McKenna, we started Metal, Men's Mental Fitness, that metal meaning resilience, because, you know, there's a recognition that we've kind of cultured men over many generations. You know, we basically ask them to speak but train them to be silent, basically. And the idea of metal is like working on men's mental fitness and the parameters that develop that emotional connection with ourselves, the mind hacking. Yes, the building in terms of, Um, Mindfulness and and, and so on, but also like retraining that mind to see see the world differently. In the sense that, you know, as you said, it's not a vulnerability. It's not a weakness to show a vulnerability. It's an an extreme strength. And, And I think that's the feedback we've had from people that men have been using that app already. It's like, why didn't we get brought up with this kind of thing? Why is this stuff not part of the way that we see the world? And I think a lot of it is because men often feel like they need permission to or need to, be able to prove themselves before they do show a vulnerable side of them because they, that's how they see the world. But that, that doesn't have to be that way, does it?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. I think it, it is just our interpretation of what vulnerability is. Mm. And I think that's the problem. It's become quite distorted. And that's why I think there is this perception of weakness. I think there was a really poignant moment with Run for One Million mm. when, you know i was i don't know 40 odd marathons into this challenge and i didn't know at the time but i had a stress fracture in my left foot and i torn my right calf and i physically couldn't run and so i was walking and for the first time it gave me a lot of time to reflect on a lot of stuff that's happened in my life over the past number of years and a lot of it just came out and i just couldn't stop crying for pretty much an entire half marathon so that was that was maybe three, four hours of just constant crying. Mm. And my cameraman, the way he shot it was so unbelievably powerful because it, it wasn't in my face. He did it from a distance, mm. but I think people could just feel that moment mm. and they were with me. Mm. And that was the moment where so many men then connected mm. with me. My hairs is
1: standing from my neck by the way I'm oh, speaking. Really that was the moment where
0: so many men connected mm. with me where I think that was for them that realisation of like this, this guy is so vulnerable right now but again the strength that it's taken for him to finish this marathon in that state when people I think now have that realisation of the physical state that I was in I think these are the moments that can define the future yeah. and I hope there are going to be so many more like it and, and the reason why I set up things like the Run Club and. I vocalize things and I want to create these platforms is that this isn't just something that I can experience myself. So many people, in fact, anyone out there that's listening to this has the potential to achieve these things, but I think society just keeps breaking them down and limiting them what we need to do is just broaden that person's
1: imagination to believe that they can do it Mm, absolutely and a lot of it starts from the little and often as well like you know obviously doing things like challenges you can find your limits and all these things but also it's like what, what are the messages you tell yourself each day how do you speak to yourself how do you view your life and you know what are the things you do to build your own uh, mental kind of resilience and stuff? It's, it's it all plays its part. Well, let's talk a little bit about your your why, because I mean, again, you've been very open talking about your know, experience of mental health, or depression and things. You, you you struggled as a as a young boy, really, a young man at first, and I wonder if you could share with us a little bit of that journey and how that then bring us back up to date. and how did that take us or lead us to the challenges that you've done, for example, the marathons?
0: Yeah, I mean, like anyone in life, I think we we're all faced with our own challenges. You know, some maybe self-inflicted, some completely out of our control. And, you know, I think at an early age, I was very much a product of my family environment. You know, I I came very much from a fractured family home. And so, yeah, I would say as a, as a child, I probably witnessed a lot of things that, you know, children shouldn't see. And I I don't mean to like an extreme level, but I just think, you know, my parents probably could have handled uh, their issues, I think, in in a more confined sort of like way, rather than sort of exposing, you know, myself to it. And, you know, I think at that time, as I've got older, you know, I've come to realise a number of different learning difficulties I've had, and you know, my issues with my mental health is that hereditary? Is that something that I've potentially inherited from my parents, or is that something that I've I've I don't know I've I've had as a, as a young child. But I think at that time, there weren't a lot of answers. And I think it's that confusion that just torments you Mm. and did me for so many years, because ultimately I was feeling, thinking, and doing things in a certain way and didn't really have the answers as to why. And I think that's what I take a huge amount of comfort in now is that as you get older and have that awareness and the ability to ask those questions, but also connect with the right people that can hopefully enlighten you with a different view on life. Things can certainly improve. Um, you know, and I just think, you know, I, I was hurt by a lot of people. I think a lot of things happened in life where I was was let down a number of times, um, you know, in, in some pretty intense situations. And, you know, I think that has what a major... Well, I just, I just, just in me. terms of like, from a, from a working environment, certainly you know, people not turning out to be who they are. And from a financial point, you can find yourself in legal battles. And that's something that I would hope no one ever has to go through in their life because I think I've expressed this before. I think, you know, what concerns me about finding myself in a courthouse is that, you know, we're raised to believe in right and wrong. And actually the reality is in a courthouse, in my view, it's a case of who just proves a case in the best way or articulates it. I think right is very much uh, distorted, I guess, by the person who, you know, is, is fronting that particular case or representing that certain person, um, you know, and ultimately, whatever judge you come into contact with, what their view of right might be could be very different to what somebody else's is. And, you know, in that sense, that leaves you feeling incredibly vulnerable. You know, I think just with that, the knock-on effect that that can then have on your mental health and, you know, how to cope with it. And, you know, I found myself you know, on a TV show, which, you know, was such a whirlwind in terms of its experience and...
1: this was made in Chelsea. Yeah,
0: this was, this was MIC back in the day, you know, it was such a whirlwind experience where you're just this young adult who, like so many others in life, is just trying to grow as a person and figure themselves out and could often find themselves probably in situations which, you know, would maybe leave them exposed. And I think rather than resolving issues, you know, it would probably be capitalised on. And I don't think that's healthy for any individual in those sorts of situations. It's the kind of idea that
1: I guess the TV is, it's more about the TV than the actual help, it, like fixing of the people in that situation. Well, you, I mean, you've done it yourself, so I mean. you, yeah, you, you yeah. can- It's all about the production, isn't it? You it's pl- scene, exactly, yeah. you
0: completely get it. But yeah. again, you know, I've, I've vocalized this before, ultimately you as the individual um, have to make that decision whether that is the environment that you wish to expose yourself to. And, and you can take yourself away from that at any time. Um, and so yeah, I just I think for me life is probably you know, and I think this is where you have to be very careful when you say life for you has been testing because I think this is the problem. A lot of people can judge an individual by what they look like or what they may have and, and question how life can be testing mm. for them if you do a comparison but mm. uh, this the, is the point I'm the making. The thing I, I think you should
1: never compare.
0: Exactly. Indeed. This I, is the I point. You, you should never should compare. compare.
1: I, it doesn't matter. Your experiences is, is, is absolutely it's all relative. valid. But no, it is, it's also just absolutely valid to be that experience. I think often people get very caught up about like almost apologising for their level of whether they truly have suffered versus others or I think I personally think that we should just own the validity of our experience. You've only lived your life. You can't compare it to anyone else. So your experiences are, they are your experiences, aren't they? And, 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 and ultimately, you you know, when, like, for example, what I'd say for me is like, but I've been to real lows. I don't need to have had a greater, in comments, degree of reasons to suffer than the low I've been to. Does that make, I don't yeah, know if that makes exactly. any sense. I think sometimes we feel we must apologize for that when actually, we've only lived our life haven't we well this is it
0: exactly i mean you know i kind of i i found myself there was a, there was a case for instance when i talk about a, a legal battle there was a case where literally within we're talking 2 months i i, I had a company at the time sportswear brand for for women that i'd made and put my my money into it and worked so unbelievably hard with my sister and turns out my manufacturer was done for fraud for 1.5 million mm. so i lost the business mm. and that was really hard to stomach and so you find yourself in international law trying to deal with something and that was very challenging and then as i've mentioned my best friend tano having his motorbike accident mm. which wasn't his fault and being paralyzed from the waist down and the then
1: injustice almost of life
0: well it is you know for someone like kim as well who gives so much to the mm. world and then you know, the relationship ending with, you know, my daughter's mother, you know, so for two months and then having to do this marathon in in Berlin to support my friend, there was just so much going on in my life at that time and just too much really to comprehend, you know, and it was so unbelievably overwhelming. And I think one of the challenges that you're faced with in that situation is, is that when so few people can relate to what it is that you're going through, it makes it really hard for them to support you. And actually, what I've come to realise as well is how so few people have the ability to support you. Empathy for me is a quality that I've, I personally think so few people on this earth seem to have these days, but it's a, it's a quality that we can all have. And it's something that I think we need to educate more people on because I think with empathy, you know, change or substantial change can be achieved. Um, and I just think for, for myself, it was just this roller coaster, I think, of, of what I was going through. But I think what I've come to realise now is that these things, these curveballs that are thrown at you in life, they are challenging, but they also, in a sense, can be an education or a gift. And it's it's not necessarily one that you might want, but actually you then can choose how you wish to respond to something like that. And so that's, I think, when these challenges started to come up, where for me, I just didn't wanna look back on my life and reflect on these negative moments and that be the defining point in my life at that particular age. And so by doing these challenges, I needed to convert that negative energy that I had built up within me and I needed to exert it and put it out into something incredibly positive and sort of share that message with other people that may be feeling the same way. But also trying to redefine, I think for anyone who has struggled with their mental health, how they can perceive themselves but equally how they can perceive others too i wanted to almost try and be that beacon of light um, for other people when that light just doesn't seem to be found
1: and that led you into doing things like the the marathons then as in doing this the, the, the big old challenge which is the 76 is that do you feel that culminated in that is that was it almost like those things led to you to this or was just that just part of Part of the life does that make sense? Yeah, do you feel like those experiences from childhood, you know, things with your parents, you know, some of the challenges, that, you know, growing up, I guess, and and maturing, in the, the kind of or trying to be a an adult in the kind of TV realm and all this kind of stuff. And then, is that why this has come to this point? Was that why you turned to do this kind of challenge?
0: Yeah, I mean, Alex, I I look back on my life now, and like so many people, I've 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 hit rock bottom, and I wouldn't change a thing for the world because it's defined the man that I've become today and has enabled me to go on and face, overcome and achieve the things that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I said, it's, it's, there's been so many valuable lessons learned from each of these experiences. And I think it's life, this is life. It, it's It's a beautiful thing, but I think in order for us to appreciate these things in life that we have and to have gratitude, unfortunately, that's what comes with it too. Yeah. You know, we can't, unfortunately, as much as we love to smile, we can't smile every day, you know, and that's just, I think you have to, it's it's about accepting things. And I think that's what I've come to realize is that I've started to accept these experiences in my life more than I did before, because I think you have so much resentment. Why is this happening to me or why has that happened? And I think it's just, it is a part of life. And I think, you know ultimately as I keep saying we have the opportunity to react to that in the way that we wish and so for me it was a case of whenever I was struggling I think for me you know when people talk about you know going off off the rails or whatever I think it was I just want to invest my time now into a healthy distraction which was these challenges which gives me a reason to wake up every day but I know equally is going to help other people too I mean I never I wasn't, you know, an ultra athlete or anything before I started taking on all these challenges. This is all brand new stuff to me. But, you know, I think you take a huge amount of strength from the people around you. Certainly when I was in a wheelchair, you know, representing and supporting Tano, Mm. you know, for me, although I was struggling, especially with my legs, with that sensation, the fact that they were dead and I was going through an awful lot of pain. The gratitude I had was, was that at the end of the day, I could get up out of that chair and I could walk away. My best friend couldn't. So again, I think there are unhealthy comparisons and I think there are healthy comparisons that we can make.
1: It's interesting when you talk about, um, you know, you look at your life and you think, well, I don't want to think of this part as, you know, that define this or that. You know, the thing that I, I often reflect on is that, you know, I am who I am today and I'm glad of who I am and like I, I, I'm imperfect, but I'm glad, you know, I wouldn't take or change who I am right now. As things I'd work on, but I wouldn't want to change it, right? But if you were to take away any of the experiences you've had along the way, it would change who you are, isn't it? You know, when you look back in life and think with regret, or you look at things, I wish I'd have done that differently, or, you know, I could look and say, oh, I wish my brother hadn't have died. I mean, this like, that's very like, deep for really, you to think about. It. But if you would change any of those things, you change the current and what would the knock-on effect of that be what would be the outcome of this of you being a different person as to what you are and it's that point I guess that you know you that's why the comparisons so risky because you can look at someone else and think well look at that person's life it's so great for them and, uh, and easy for them but you can't have the stuff that you see you have to have everything if you're going to be them you have to have every part of their life and you have no idea what's going on in the background or the stuff that's that's kind of happened and I think that acceptance point that's what I try and focus on I guess is, is acceptance and as many things that have happened that I probably wouldn't choose I'd never wish but you must be able to accept them at some point otherwise you're gonna carry that feeling of injustice aren't you and yeah, that creates you, you a have pain. To.
0: I think the reason why we don't accept it too is just because of shame right we are ashamed that it's happened to us or we're ashamed of what I guess people may perceive us to be and I think you just have to stop giving a shit you can't care what other people think of you because i think where we're getting it wrong i don't think and i keep saying this uh to to people i think people question you for what you do with what you have Hmm. does that make sense as in like you can't question a person i guess for what they have sorry i think it's what you do with it ultimately so for me tano has been such a An education in the sense that you have this individual that's been paralyzed from an accident and yet not a single person sees a paralyzed man. Mm. Because when he walks into the room with his crutches, he just radiates energy. He is just someone who has a story to tell. And I think that's the problem, is a lot of people allow these adversities to find them, but in such a negative way. I think when you radiate that energy, that's what people ultimately are drawn to. So for me, when I walk in a room, I'm someone who's crippled certain days by anxiety and has struggled with depression in the past but i don't think that's what people think of or it comes the first thing to their mind when i walk into that room hopefully it will be the challenges that i've gone on to achieve as as a sort of like a a repercussion off the back of these negatives that have happened in my
1: life well it's that you know the the philosopher adler his kind of view was that you know it's not necessarily what happens to us It's, it's how we whether we allow those things to define our lives or indeed what meaning we attach to things so it's like something awful and terrible has happened and that doesn't mean you're taking away from some, the fact that something awful has happened but it's now what do you do with that what's your step forward from that you can't change it you literally want you know a minute has passed we've walked down this hill that has happened right it's happened whatever's happened in your past has happened so what do you do now and how do you how do you move forward and what mindset do you take from that which is which is fascinating <laughs>
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's go in there. I think it's a nice point to talk a bit about the, the, the actual marathons themselves. So let's, let's start from the uh, kind of a, a logistical perspective how does one run 76 marathons? (laughs) And like, how did you decide that number? It was, we broke a record, isn't it? It So we set,
0: it was actually, yeah, we broke a record and an unofficial world record first. So the 76 marathons run 4 million, the most recent challenge was an idea that I actually came up with, I think it was about three and a bit years ago. This was actually just before COVID had happened. Mm. And so I was kind of training and preparing for that with my coach uh, at the time, Ben Parker, and COVID kicked in and, and just changed everything. And I'm so grateful that the challenge hadn't happened at that time, because actually I needed a lot of what was going on at that time to have happened. And for me, I think to evolve as a person as an, and an athlete too, in all honesty, in order to have got the the most out of this particular experience. At the time, there was actually 69 cities. Uh, now there is, the 76 they'd added them on and the reason for that was for me the why behind this challenge was to give a person a reason to live and I looked at various different charity charity sorry that I'd worked with in in the past and Samaritans for me was a charity that I felt deeply passionate about so I think it was just having the awareness that I come from privilege and I'm so grateful every day that when I've struggled I've had a loving environment and I've had the resources to support me when I've struggled at you know when I'm at my lowest and I think it was empathizing or understanding that there are so many people out there that don't have that same support and that for me I just can't accept and so although I can't afford to pay for therapy for every person Samaritans was an option for anyone and everyone an unlimited service at any time of day that people could connect with. Now, I know these guys aren't qualified therapists, it is still someone for an individual who's struggling to talk to. So when I looked at the city, Samaritans essentially have a centre in every single one of those. So for me, it was a case of let's target this message around the four nations of the UK, but also every single pound that we make is going to benefit every single location within the UK. and. Um, I think people really appreciated that because I think that's the problem is that often you know individuals feel like a certain area might be benefited more or a certain country and I think to make it inclusive with all four for me it was about reminding people of that we are so much stronger together it was about unity and coming together.
1: That's amazing, and what was the total amount of money in the end?
0: So I think we just fell short of around four hundred thousand. I mean, it's this is this was the
1: target, though. Like the not say you me... fall short. I think you fell far at a four. Well, no. <laughs> you know
0: so the most <laughs> money so I'd money. raised before, oh I think, God. was around twenty-eight, twenty-nine thousand. So in
1: in That's in that phenomenal. respect, it's it's monumental. That's a phenomenal amount of money.
0: I think my frustration is that the target was a million, and I and for me, it's it's not a case of I could have done more. There was nothing more myself my team or the general public that invested could have done to make any more i think i just banked on the national media getting behind this in a bigger way because ultimately the more it's exposed the more eyes we can have on it and support and we see it time and time again individuals taking on various different charities or sorry challenges and making these sums of money I think for me it was was optimism and I don't think you should ever not dream to aim higher than what you think is possible. And my goal in life (sighs) has always been to raise a million for charity. And I just felt like with the size of this particular one, why not just give it a go with this challenge? But, you know, again, I can either look back at it now and I can be frustrated that I didn't hit my target. Or I can be grateful for every single pan that we made and know that I still have a life in order to make the rest of that. Well money think how up and many think how, much, think
1: how many lives that will have changed and saved and the people that you've touched from it inspired. You know, I I saw it through the, the challenge that you did. And you know, just it really affects you know, it really, really has a ripple effect that is Intangible, and it just reminds me, even doing you know the the stomp cast, the number of people that every now and then I bump into someone say, Oh, I listened to that, and that you don't really, you don't even realize how many people might have seen one of the posts or you know, saw you on the leg of that journey. Like, there's no way you can know the impact that will have. And so, sometimes, when we look at these tangible things like how much money was raised, it doesn't you can't compute or calculate the cost but so i decided you, your your benefit is millions of pounds actually when you when you roll that out so let's dig into then the actual then practicalities so where did you start where did you end and where was the kind of highs and lows i guess physically and mentally you talked about um, was it running 46 where your calf went was it, the, God, was you it know i think, think, think we we're, were
0: around the yeah we were around the 40 mark i think in terms yeah. of the marathons but it was it was marathon 9 i think as yeah. early on where the foot was 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 damaged essentially when we were you were in running, foot, you were Island, running 20, 26.2, 26.2 miles, 2 a day, miles yeah.
1: every single day, and you're doing that across 76. So the yeah. like, mass isn't great, but you're talking very many miles. <laughs> it was it
0: was it was a lot of miles, and I mean, just like the weather as well. We you know it was the worst weather on record mm. when we kicked it off, and we kind of banked on it improving, and it didn't. I mean, there were times where we were running in the snow and the rain, but again, like this is where your team come into it, and you're sharing that experience together, and it's it's that togetherness that gets you through it you know it's not about i it's about us and we together mm. and it was just a really special experience you know we started in scotland and i think one of the the most powerful moments for me was when i started that first marathon in uh Inverness. one person came to the start line mm-hmm. when we finished hundreds mm-hmm. ran alongside me and i think that was just testament to the challenge so wow. You know, we started off in Scotland and we made our way over to Northern Ireland and then over to England. Then we progressively made our way into Wales, back into England, finished off in Wales, south of Wales, and then made our way down south, working our way back up to London to finish the final two marathons in London. And, um, you know, I just think for me, it's a case of just stripping stuff back. Whenever I do these challenges, I don't like luxury. I go quite feral, don't really wash a great deal. The hair kind of grows and I just like to keep it simple. We were in a camper van with no heating. You know, we didn't really have a great deal to be honest with you. every night you're in the camper van. Every night in the camper van. I mean, there were were a couple of times where friends, if we were in the area very kindly, would give us a bed or two for like the camera guys. Yeah, just to, if you did genuinely, or wash your clothes. I mean, you, you come to realize how important it is to wash your clothes. I mean, because we essentially had very few items to wear when you've got consecutive days of running where you're sweating or yeah, it's been sure. torrential rain or snow, when you start running in damp, smelly clothes, yeah, I mean, that yeah. in itself, like first thing in the morning, can make it I testing. Guess. Exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's just these moments where I think it just reminds you of exactly what we have in life. And for me, it definitely recalibrates absolutely everything so that when I do come back to what you would perceive yeah. as normal day-to-day life, you know the things that I may have taken for
1: granted I don't anymore. So take me to the final leg then. So this is marathon number two in or the last one, but the second, la- second one you're doing in London to finish. What was the final? Where did you end it? And what did it kind of feel like as a team to, to complete that challenge?
0: I just was so humbled how many people came in all honesty. You know, we were, we were stood outside of Buckingham Palace and mm. there's the iconic monument at the front of it. And every day No matter the group, even if it was just Chris Taylor, my right-hand guy, or Reese Chapman, my cameraman, you know, sort of by my side, we'd start off with a prayer. Just to sort of remind people of why we were there just before we started. And um, we would get into a huddle. And again, it was just creating that connection between people, bringing them together. And that final huddle we did, the fact that we surrounded that entire monument, I mean, the images that we have from that day is iconic just yeah it is it was that that's exactly it was iconic i think what was created and something as i get older i'm just going to appreciate more and more and more
1: memories cherish it was and i think what
0: was so special about that marathon is that when we were running through the parks and a friend of mine who's a, a dj had brought a speaker on his back and was cycling around with us and strangers were joining us people of all ages were dancing in the streets and i don't know it just it reminded me of just what was great about this world and what was so special is that a topic that is such a a taboo subject i don't know it just it's for me it was connecting with people in a way that they could appreciate it didn't feel like a weight on their shoulders and i think what was so nice is that people could come who may have struggled themselves or knew somebody who had struggled or they may have lost someone and they just found themselves in a space where they felt safe and they didn't even need to talk I think that's what was really nice it wasn't a space where you know I think you were pushed to do something you didn't want to do if you wanted to speak openly the floor was open if you didn't want to and you just wanted to listen you could equally do that too and I think there's just something about running where you know we talk about not having to make eye contact i think it's just yeah. having people either side of you and the distractions of everything that's going on and the movements that come with running too and um i just met so many remarkable people that day and people that had run multiple marathons with me throughout the challenge who had come again to run the final one and um I think it just it made me realise the impact that we were actually making, I think not just in England but within the Four Nations and hopefully eventually just through the messaging, you know, globally too.
1: So what do you think, reflecting on all of that and with that in mind, what do you think was the, was the biggest lesson or takeaway thing you took away from that whole challenge and experience?
0: <sighs> just don't give up. I think for me it was the key like don't give up on yourself don't give up on other people don't give up on this world you know i think it's so important we are as a species so unbelievably resilient and i think we just need to be reminded of that and i think the problem with society is with everything it's just softening us i think in all honesty and i don't mean we need to be shouted at and and it needs to be a military operation but i just think We need to be tested, and I think that's the problem. We're not. Mm. I think too many things now in life are coming with ease. And actually, I think it's these tests, ultimately, that help reminders, help developers. And that's certainly why I do it. I love that as a reminder. You know, ultimately, when I have a voice inside my head telling me to end things or crippling me or weakening me, whenever I do these challenges, it's a reminder just to shut that voice up Mm. because I know it's utter
1: nonsense. Mm. And it's that kind of premise, isn't it, that comfort can breed discomfort. So the idea that actually when, when things are too comfortable and you don't know perhaps your capabilities or your resilience or you don't challenge or test yourself and you stay in that kind of comfort zone, you, you perceive that comfort zone to be safety, but it isn't necessarily. Is it? It's like the idea of, you know, if you're, if you're you know, very lonely and you're afraid to go in a social situation or you're worried about joining a the run club or whatever it might be, you stay at home and think, oh, "But I'm uncomfortable. I'm comfortable in my room," but you're not, are you? It's a false sense of comfort. It's yep. actually breeding further loneliness and further illness, and the thoughts start going in your head. So sometimes it's actually retraining our brain to go, "No, actually, discomfort is where the growth happens," isn't it?
0: I think you're right. I think you you have to you have to redefine what comfort actually is because I think, in all honesty the vast majority of things that we do in life i think is actually masking how we we genuinely feel right agreed i think so many things seem to be pushed on us television alcohol drugs whatever it might be and i think momentarily it helps you but long term it doesn't and so i think it's just it's it's finding or exploring these different things but also i think your environment Play such a massive part in who you are and what you'll go on to do if you surround yourself with like-minded people then you will probably remain the same but i think ultimately if you have that open mind or you are open-minded and that willingness to explore other options and you're going to have to connect with other people that equally share that same vision too because naturally the environment that you're currently in they like you for who you are, and the minute you start to explore different avenues, you become a person that they're not familiar with, and so their natural reaction is to bring you back. And that's not a bad thing, that's just, that's just them and probably you yourself at times, maybe with other people.
1: You know, well, I found... They say you become the average of your people, don't you? 100%. You become the middle point, the median within your people.
0: Alex, I found myself on a night out recently where I joined a birthday a little bit later on, you know, I had my run club the next morning. I'm 34, I've got a six-year-old daughter, I can drink as much as the next person, I can have fun, but I have a fully grown man stood in front of me with other people being like, you need to catch up. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you're five beers behind, you need to drink five beers and then you'll catch up with us. And I looked at him and I said, but what good is that gonna do? What is your rationale behind that? Why do I want to get myself to a point where I'm that drunk and potentially, because I'm terrible with a hangover, being sick in a toilet, which then, in turn, will affect my run club tomorrow and the interactions that I make with the people that have taken the time to come down with me. Yeah. So I think rather than being kind of like frustrated or questioning this person, you just have to understand that they are in a completely different point in their yeah. life, and they you. might
1: come to your place, but you can't exactly. drag, you can't bring them there. They've got to find it themselves. Exactly. That's
0: absolutely fine. But you know that that particular guy has positioned himself where he's pretty content waking up on a Sunday morning, hungover probably staying in bed most of the day watching films. That's fine. To some people, yeah, that sounds the free. dream. There That's, is absolute yeah, judgment, judgment free. free. That's just not the life that I wish to live, yeah, yeah. you know? So, you know, if anything, I look at that individual and I just think right now we might not connect, but I'm going to continue doing the work that I do because actually you're the, you're the person I want to connect with the most. I hope that one day I'll see you at that run club. Yeah. However many years that might take,
1: who knows? What is the what's the, there's some something I saw on TikTok the other day that was um you know running is the drug you take in the moment it uh, causes you a lot of discomfort but creates you know so much happiness whereas uh, you know recreational drugs booze fast food it's a, a drug you take in the moment that makes you feel good but creates so much pain in the long term and yeah I guess perhaps the only way you can work that out is by finding it on an and I've been through that process I and mean, you find that answer. Right, we'll come to the end of part two there. Gosh, we've covered so much. It's been absolutely amazing. Honestly, it's been fantastic. Guys, I'll see you uh, in part three very, very shortly and very, very soon. Goodbye.